Hello and welcome to this week's episode of For What It's Earth, your environment, climate change and sustainability podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to you about rivers, didn't we? we? Did. And we, in that episode, we promised you that we would be coming back talking to a special guest about more rivers. Yes, it was one of my, well, episode I really enjoyed researching. Um, and there were some bits in the research uh, I purposely said to Emma, no, stop. We're not going to talk about that because we've got the perfect guest lined up anyway to talk about it. So we have with us uh, Dr. Stephanie Yanakovsky-Hartley uh, from Swansea University. Hiya. Hello. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So um, Steph is a researcher in uh, freshwater uh, ecology and uh, biology. Is that right? Yeah, I, we can even say maybe like environmental science, interdisciplinary yeah. research. It's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? <laughs> Exactly, and um, you do quite a lot. I've noticed. Yeah, yeah you do quite a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was really interesting trying to um, come up with with the intro for for how to <laughs> how to sort of encapsulate everything you do because you do um, sort of the hard research, I suppose, and also a lot of community engagement, a lot of science communication as well. Yeah, trying to learn how we can do better, actually, at engaging with people and making it more interesting. Which is what we're all about. Indeed. Coming <laughs> on a podcast. You'll fit in very well. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> so I guess uh, the first place to start is, is, could you tell us a little bit about, about yourself, about the research, about your work that you do? Yeah. So I'm originally from the United States. Maybe the accent gives it away a bit. I grew up in Michigan, which is surrounded by water. So I think we might have about as much surface area of water as we do land. I'm making that up. That should be fact-checked, actually. Um, <laughs> we, we don't do a lot of fact-checking. But <laughs> we have a lot of water. So it was, a, it was a natural evolution, though. Yeah, exactly. So basically just came straight from a fish. No, it just... <laughs> <laughs> I emerged from the lake yeah, exactly. one day. I might, might fact-check that Walked onto campus. Definitely fact-check that one. <laughs> so, um, and I studied... Um, Various things like natural resources management was my undergraduate degree in Michigan at Grand Valley State University. But there I focused a lot on fish ecology, fisheries, and inland waters research, basically. And that really stuck with me. And while I ventured to Australia to work on my master's, and I did work on a marsupial species, a koala, which, you know, they... Water is very important to them, but we can't really quite say they are a riverine species. Um, <laughs> not unless there's some version the, of a koala I've not there. seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So the link there is that I, I focused on fragmentation. And I looked at fragmentation of uh, koala habitat and the effects that it was having on koala species. Um, so fragmentation is kind of the common link. And now I look at fragmentation of our rivers. Um, and I've been doing that since my first postdoc, basically, at University of Wisconsin-Madison in the U.S. And yeah, that's kind of the theme that I do now. Look at the impact of things like dams and culverts, which we'll talk about a little bit today, um, on our river systems and on the fishes that live there. And try and chat with people about it and get them interested to know a bit more about it. I think that's the perfect place to start then, isn't it? So can you tell us what a culvert is and also what impact it actually has on, on fish in rivers? Sure. So if you 
drove or walk or ran anywhere today and crossed over a river, more than likely you crossed over a culvert. You might have thought it was a bridge, but if it's a smaller stream, it's more likely a culvert. Um, culverts come in different shapes and sizes. They can be round and metal or square and open bottom. So they kind of, if they're square and open, they function more like a bridge. If they're round and metal, they kind of function like a hose in some ways because they constrict the flow of river water and they make that can make it quite challenging downstream. So it can change the function and the flow of the river itself and then also impact how species can move within the river. Yeah, that was going to be my, my next question then. How, how severe is the impact then of this these changes in flows because presumably it's not always the same as well like you said it depending on the size and shape the yeah the flow is going to change so how how does that um impact wildlife and is it is it consistent in its impacts yeah so in terms of the change in flow it really depends on the size of the culvert in relation to the size of the the river and how much it constricts how the river is flowing basically um if you think of how a dam a big dam can create a reservoir behind it. Culverts can do that as well, maybe to a lesser extent. Um, and they can create a pool downstream as well, almost creating an artificial waterfall from the culvert down into the river. So that's one way it modifies the habitat in the flow. In terms of for species, if we have that artificial waterfall forming with the culvert, you can imagine if you're a fish species that doesn't know how to jump or to climb necessarily, this can be quite a challenge because you may not have ever had a waterfall in your um, habitat before and all of a sudden disappears. Um, the humans install it and, and that can be quite a challenge for fishes. Most of them are not able to actually make it upstream of culverts if they have any kind of outlet drop between the culvert and the stream. Uh, what's the knock-on effect of them not being able to travel as far upstream as they naturally would be inclined to do? Yeah, so there's a couple of different things that can come from that. One is that the fish can't necessarily make it upstream to spawn. So you talked about a couple of weeks ago about fish migration, those fishes that need to move upstream to reach their spawning habitat at specific areas of the stream, normally quite far upstream. Um, but even if you're a fish that moves within the river, that can be quite an impact on you as well. So maybe you used to be able to swim five kilometers, but with a few culverts in the way, now you're only swimming 500 meters. That can be quite a change to your life cycle and process. Um, yeah, so not just about spawning, but also access to food resources. And I guess if you can't access food resources, you can't grow and get stronger and share your offspring or even spawn. So these are two of the main ways that this can have an impact but that's pretty detrimental to your life cycle so i mean we um in in our rivers episode previously uh, i i definitely did say the percentage of uh uk freshwater sources that were impacted by man-made structures but i can't remember the number 93 percent um, i think is what you oh, yeah. there we go. <laughs> that's why we bring in the experts <laughs> sorry <laughs> Would you like to host from now on? <laughs> Lloyd, I'm trading you in from now on. Sorry. It's me instead. <laughs> no, this is a setup. I knew it. <laughs> so it, it's it's widespread problem, isn't yes. it? Yes. Um, and that's not just, is that just UK or is this globally? Is this a, a thing humans have been doing everywhere? Yes. Fortunately, this way? is something we are doing everywhere. I mean, anywhere we've built a road, 
there's a chance that there could be a culvert, especially if it's a very quickly built road. Some places where we tend to find badly constructed culverts will be associated with things like rapid expansion of um, logging for trees, for wood and such, but also like clear felling for agricultural areas. So um, my colleague Cecilia wrote a bit about this in the Amazon where she's based, she's Brazilian working there. And with the rapid expansion of small roads comes uh, poorly built crossings. Some might even just be sand underneath with no crossing available for the, the fishes or for the flow of water. And often this happens because um, it's believed that it's cheaper just to make these makeshift um, crossings and such. But if you need to continually use them, we've actually done research that looks at the economics behind it. And it can become uh, more costly if you're constantly having to repair and remediate these road crossings where the culverts are because they can wash out. If it's a very flood prone area, um, the cost to actually keep repairing them is more than if we just put in a culvert that would allow the flow to keep going by as it would uh, if the river were on its own without the culvert. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, has there been any appetite, um, whether that's uh, UK government or other governments to, to reverse this? Like now, for example, research in, such as you said, like economics of it as yes. well, as well as the biodiversity impact, are, are, are governments willing to reverse this? Yes, this is actually something that has started to gain a lot of traction and interest. So in Washington state in the US, um, indigenous communities there made an argument for repairing road culverts to allow fish migration. And the state uh, of Washington has now responded to that and has put policies into place to start to improve these crossings to enable fishes to move um, more freely. They've done a bunch of hiring of people. They have teams on the ground. They have citizens that can report in about where culverts might be poorly performing and where they could be remediated. Here in UK, I also know that there's quite a bit of activity going on with the Environment Agency. Um, they have a specific group that is working on fish passage. And this is a priority within one of their streams uh, within Environment Agency. And they are remediating not only culverts to repair them and enable better passage of fish and water, but also weirs. So installing or removing weirs, installing uh, fish passes that are effective or taking the weirs out completely. Bit trickier. Oh, you can't man. really take a road out, so it's more of a remediation yes. than a, a, a removal <laughs> with roads. But yeah. But is that also filtering through to looking forward to ongoing development in this country? Um, so, so they're obviously aware of undoing the damage that's already been done. Is, is that filtered through to actual planning policy of what should be done with future culverts? Yeah. So. I actually, this is something we could look into a little bit more because I've heard that there isn't an explicit policy on the building of culverts and how they are built. It's more about the removal and the remediation. Uh, I understand that there is some guidance as to how um, we build in rivers, but nothing explicit about culverts. So there is a bit mm. of an open space there to probably have more of a voice and inform policy a bit better there, especially for things like what we were saying, um, agriculture development or forestry. And also I've heard wind farm where they're putting in wind farms and they have these quick 
uh, makeshift roads going in, that these culverts are very poorly installed and causing some problems with erosion. Both are actually in the middle of nowhere, yes. aren't they? Yeah. So we're doing something good by putting the wind farms in, but not necessarily thinking about other things along the way. So something we can yeah. we can do better for sure. Yeah. I suppose the last thing you want is uh, is more culverts going in at the same rate. Indeed. You're, you're taking them back out again. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So how yeah. important is it, would you say? Obviously, your um, the other side to what you do is is public engagement, science communication. Yes. Particularly, like you said, with issues like looking after our rivers and even our wind farms. Um, how important is it, in your opinion, to bring the public along with research and with development and really engage people with the journey and contextualising kind of environmental topics like yours? I think it's very important. I think with something like uh, road culverts, the first question always is, oh, well, you can't remove a road. That's not what we're suggesting. We're suggesting we can, as we talked about earlier, remediate and modify how we are implementing these things. Um, of course, that gets attached because we we talk about dam removals and and things like this. Uh, that's a very political topic. It's very contested because um, people have developed uh, cultures and lifestyle practices around these waters. So where there's a dam, you might have different fishing practices than if we took out the dam. It would change how the water is. It would be less pooled, more fast-flowing. So people who like that particular fishery that might depend on the dam may not be too happy about the dam actually coming out. So um I absolutely think that uh, people in the um, forefront of being involved in these discussions is essential in hearing different voices and thinking more broadly than just one single dam. We should look at the whole river system and where are choke points for migratory fish, where are places that people absolutely don't want to get rid of uh, infrastructure or we might be able to make some compromise with remediations. Um, so that I think it's very important have people involved in this people such as yourself actually um maybe give us a give us a little run through it looks from what i've seen like you've been very experimental with lots of different ways of engaging with public and the communities and just really bringing creativity into what you do so maybe give us the highlights what are your favorite Thanks. ways to to engage um well i don't know if it actually was ever my favorite way but i decided to try something using the social media platform called, called Twitter uh, as a way to engage with people through a game. I've heard of that one. Yeah. I might know that one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we might know Twitter. Um, yeah, um, a game called Hashtag Dam or Not, which had a good four-year four run. Yeah, four-year yeah. run. It actually ran for four years on Twitter, um, which started by me just sharing an image of some work that I was doing trying to identify a dam on satellite imagery, which is a good challenge for anyone. Um, and that got some people interested in the topic and then grew a small following. And now some of the people that took part in that game actually just recently contributed to research with us over the last two years and have been wow. helping us map uh, these infrastructures such as dams all around the globe. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So that's, that's the perfect that's example. You hook them in with a game and then suddenly yeah. they get involved and it's a citizen science project. <laughs> they're doing, yeah, doing they, the most. They're very committed. Yeah, yes. I always see such a big um, uptake of people playing that game on Twitter. Yeah. It's always amazing. Every time there's always 
loads of people. Yeah, it's a lot of um, fun. I think having go and I I don't comment because I never have an idea <laughs> what, what it is. So what, what I started to find out, and this is something that got me interested with engagement research, is like, oh, uh, there's a lot of people that kind of lurk, if I can say, like they're around watching the demo or not, but not necessarily contributing because they're a bit shy and worried. Like, oh, I don't know if I can actually say if that's a demo or not. <laughs> Lloyd, that's you. You're a lurker. Indeed, sorry, Lloyd. (laughs) Will it be running again soon? I'm definitely keen to give it a go. I actually have put it on pause, but maybe there's a need to bring it back because other people are also discussing that it's quite useful um, discussion points. So in June, I decided, because I'm managing a group of, a team of people now uh, at the university, that maybe I needed to put them or not to the side for a little bit but it doesn't mean it can't come back every now and again no and a little, a little treat hashtag bring back down yeah. let, let us know <laughs> i am here for it i will let you know <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you also um do a lot of art related uh, engagement communication don't you i saw um like a haiku yes <laughs> underwater haiku that, that talk was us the, through one this of the coolest thing i've seen yes <laughs> so the idea of underwater haiku is that We often don't see what's underwater because we can't really spend too much time underwater. Even Mm -hmm. if we have dive equipment or snorkels, quite difficult. Um, And as Emma said uh, a few weeks ago about the kayak, she spends most of her time above the water or on the water, not under the water. So when all goes well, while we might, you know, have a lot of passion about the rivers, but what's going on underneath is kind of a mystery to a lot of people, I imagine. Um, But there's loads of processes going on underwater. Fish are migrating, processes, things are breaking down, entire ecosystem is living under there. Um, So how can we engage with people in different ways about that? We might think of, oh, we can share videos, and that's great. And, you know, as you said, marine systems, we definitely hear more about and see more imagery from, increasingly seen from, from rivers as well. But we thought, let's get people writing about it, and let's and see how we can inspire people to write about underwater experiences and environments. And one way we did this um, at the start of, I guess, COVID-19 was to engage with people through social media, using Twitter and others, at Facebook as well, I think. Um, and we shared posts about, okay, we want you to write one line, a haiku line, five syllables or seven syllables about underwater experience underwater environment something that you know came to your mind spontaneously or that you know recently you encountered and we built what's called an exquisite corpse which is no one knows what the other person wrote but you write a line based on that prompt and then you build this kind of corpse or body of text or work if you will sometimes it can be an artwork or a drawing cool and then you have this giant uh, haiku exquisite haiku basically um and then we created a video of that uh uh, my colleague Daphne Yanolatu she's an artist and she created a digital um artwork basically of these exquisite haikus that all came together. I was say there is a video of it, and we will absolutely post uh, a link to that um, on our social media (laughs) because it's it's beautiful. Um I was also going to ask uh related to that because Actually, a sort of an unintended theme of this season since we've been back um, has sort of been because we've coincided with the end of lockdown mm-hmm. and we've been talking about how um, 
important it is for people to be able to connect with nature and that they've got this chance again to connect with nature so it's it's kind of a, a vague wishy-washy question i suppose so sorry about this but how how important do you do you think that is to people to be able to connect with the rivers around them and what what do you think is the best way for for people to engage with with their nature or, or I suppose from your point of view to engage them yeah sorry that's a really big question that's but, right. uh, feel, feel free to take as much or as little as yeah. that you want so I guess if we um, think about how can we engage with rivers there's a number of different ways and probably many of us are doing that already but it's also maybe thinking about what can we do to minimize our impact on rivers or to become a bit more aware of what's out there in terms of how we could have our voices heard and if we have concerns about things like pollution and things that we can reach out to our um, political representatives and let them know about that. Um, one thing I'm quite interested in is how people relate with rivers and thinking about ways that we can engage with them about that. One thing we have done is create a small book called Jack's River Adventure, which is about um, Jack the dog. So, you know, we've, we've heard this. a few dogs today barking. Uh, that was just Jack. Yeah. You know, <laughs> along the way. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that was the river dog in yeah. the background. Definitely not, not the dog I'm going to turn into yeah. a hat after this recording. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack's River Adventure is based on some walks that I did along the River Tauwey. Uh, in 2019 and Jack is also a dog Swansea Jack uh, that has a history around Swansea yes. so we brought these two ideas together and the niece nephew cousin of Swansea Jack Jack the female dog um, is actually in a book now and in the book are some activities to get young people out and visiting their local rivers. We have a few activities there that, again, Daphne uh, designed um, that are educational, but also a bit fun. Get out there, think about what's along my river, have a trip, take someone, lead them on a, a walk or a journey along the river, and then draw that and share it with others. Um, other things that we could do is maybe think about our future rivers. So we might not be too happy about how our rivers are now or how we're managing them. But what, as a child or young person, even as adults, would we like to see in the future for our rivers? And let's visualize that and share that with others and get them thinking about, well, what is different about the future river than what is our river now? Can we, can we make Excellent. that change? Yeah. What, what is it that we need to do to go from now to that future river? Yeah. So a real discussion. Mm. Exactly. Discussion. Yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely link to the um, children's resources as well because I saw those on your website. You. I think that's a really yeah. nice way of engaging, of covering all bases, I suppose. Yeah. Um, engaging lots of different people. It's fantastic. Take yeah, them look. loving rivers <laughs> from when they're young. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's what, that's what we hope. I think it's important. I mean, a lot of us who work on rivers, if we think back, there's something that's linked us there when we were younger. And so it does suggest, um, and some research has suggested that by age seven, we start to frame these things and form them in kind of our vision and direction of how the world is and, you know, our perspective on that. Obviously, there's chance for those things to change over time, but it develops by this age. And so if we can have these discussions early on and, and connect and engage with these environments, it seems very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the other things you do. Um, talk to us about Fire Lab. Okay. 
so FireLab is the amazing team of people that, that work with me. Um, as I already mentioned, Daphne, uh, she's an artist, visual designer, um, and she's from Greece originally, where they have very different challenges with their water uh, than what we have here in the UK, very different environment. So, but she's also very passionate because she grew up on a small island by the, the sea. So she has this passion also instilled with her about water in our aquatic environments. Um, we also do a lot of different engagement activities. It's been a bit of a challenge uh, through lockdown when we can't see people and get out and, and talk with them. But we've gotten a bit creative, actually, in thinking about how we can do online um, learning activities with young people through things like STEM Ambassador uh, program here in the UK, which has been very supportive in helping us get set up with different online activities. Fire Labs also going up. Oh, maybe we should say what Fire Lab is. Freshwater interdisciplinary <laughs> research and engagement. Most people think it's about fire, but it's Very not. Nice. Slightly like misleading acronym. Sorry about that. They thought you were just literally mastering all of the elements. Yeah. You've done water, now you're exactly. fire. <laughs> it's, it's actually because when I started at Swansea University, they said, you'll probably keep your job as long as you don't start any fires or burn the university down. And I thought, <laughs> aha, we can make an acronym out of that with fresh water. <laughs> Technically, yeah. you have started a fire. Oh, Indeed. Nice. Indeed. That's right. <laughs> I I really like the, the focus on inter interdisciplinary stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's awesome. And especially, I, I know we've, we've already talked a lot about uh, communication and uh, your efforts of engagement. I, it's... Um, the way science is engaging with art is really interesting these days because they're starting to realize that the line between them is quite blurred. Yes. Um, that it all comes from the same um, sense of asking, curiosity, That's right. I suppose. That's curiosity. Um, yes. I, I know that some places have, I mean, actually Swansea is artists in residence. I've, I've heard of uh, somewhere that had, had a comedian in residence. Yes. Um, cool. it's, it's quite interesting, yeah, how, how it's taken off. Um, do, you, do you see that as something that's going to, grow more this sort of like blurring of lines this sort of exploration of how we can yeah and actually um, some research that Daphne's done um is they've there's some research that shows this kind of third space so a third space that's created by science and art coming together and what is that exactly like what is this new space that's created when people come together but Daphne and I are also interested in like if you are working in the same space together or you're working side by side how does that kind of grow your own research and your own creative production, basically just by working together, even if you're not necessarily creating this third space, but you're kind of co-creating and, and maybe one learns from the science, one learns from the art, and how do those things take a different direction than if we were just scientists sitting in an office yeah. versus scientists and an artist sitting there together? So that it's not necessarily just about um, I'm going to have this artist so I can promote my science or communicate it better. It becomes how can I utilize art to think in a different way to approach Yeah, and how are way. we? I mean, is it is it influencing yeah. us? And does science influence art? And I know Daphne would say it, it definitely does. And we're, we're working on a paper around this. It's like by having scientists sitting there, how did it influence her inspiration for something like the underwater haiku artwork? that she created to, you know, engage with other people. Um, 
that's quite exciting, actually, and a, a very interesting research direction that I think maybe not too many people are, are going towards at the moment, but there's a lot of scope and direction we can take with that and this kind of idea of working together and how can we overcome common challenges that we all see as something that we want to do better on um, and yeah, be creative and share with other people and let people share with us, which is really excellent. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I think it's really interesting like you said, putting those two disciplines together and seeing what kind of happens between them. But also I think workshopping the image of scientists and of science is really important because yes. I think the, the stereotype is that scientists do science and that's it. But so many scientists are incredibly creative and are artists as well in their own right. There are so like I think, I think it, people aren't only one thing and neither should our exploration of the world be led only that's by right. one path. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. And it, it's a unfair dichotomy, isn't it? Or to set yourself as uh, one thing or the other. We are people, uh, all of us are people, and we can explore different things. Not to say someone who's an artist also isn't uh, practicing science, for example. As you say, um, you might have a question in mind, and the way you explore that question could be with a scientific method, whether an, you identify as an artist or a scientist. Hmm. Well, also, we um, I, I came a while ago to, to some of your um, uh, artist uh, meetups, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and, and you had some, like, it, it was really, really nice to be in because um, uh, I can't remember the last time I drew anything. And it was such a relaxing environment to sit down with some colleagues and just have a draw. And it, I sort of got reminded of it um, literally yesterday, actually, because I was looking for a couple of references for um, some academic writing I'm doing. And the papers go back to like 1950, 1960. And then if they wanted to really get across an animal behavior, I'm going through these beautiful pictures of storks, like preening themselves and it's the, which the scientists would have to do themselves. Like it's, um, it's almost a forgotten art, which is being found again. Yeah. And we have some really talented scientific illustrators that work as Fonzie university, don't we? One we do. who is a trained artist now training as a scientist as well. Uh, Francis Ratcliffe, yes. Um, and that's fascinating. I mean, just seeing the skill by these people, and as you say, it's, it's essential. Um, actually, in fish ecology class, one of my favorite courses as an undergraduate, that's where I started to see that we draw to learn, actually, about these species. Drawing kind of imprints this in our mind of what this fish looks like. What is the ecology of this fish is based on the anatomy and the build of the fish, you can start to understand, oh, it feeds, its mouth faces down, therefore it feeds down from the benthic. Uh, so doing this kind of artistic uh, practice and capture of, of nature, basically, gives us another way of learning and thinking altogether. Rather than just That's reading really it point. from a book, yeah. we can also draw it and capture it and think of it in different ways. Oh, you, you make me want to get my coloring pencil. I know, me again. too, actually. I'm not doing that. <laughs> okay, homework for the episode. We're all going to paint a picture of a fish and then we'll put them on Instagram when this Brilliant. comes out. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Speaking of homework ever, actually, oh, no. um, 
Well, you, last time in our Rivers episode, you said you had like a home testing kit from the Rivers Trust? Yes, I did mm. that this weekend. And you were going to take it out in I your did. kayak? It was great fun. So this was to test um, the nitrates and phosphate levels um, of different places along the Avon River catchment. And I did, I took it out this weekend and I actually got two so I could do another one somewhere else along the catchment. Um, but you just get these, you get a little sample pot and then you take a sample from not the surface of the river, you have to stick your hand in and... Mm. Um, and then you kind of basically suck some of that sample into this little tube and it goes a different colour, depending on how many nitrates or phosphates parts per million are in that particular sample. And you wait a couple of minutes for it to go a certain shade of pink, match it up with this little postcard, um, and then you can record it and send it off to the Rivers Trust. It was it was really fun. And the friend I dragged out on the kayak, I mm. was like... I was like, come on, mate, we're going kayaking. We're going to have a lovely day, but we are going to stop for five minutes and do some science. And she was like, brilliant. Okay, sure. But she got, she got well into it. She was like, oh my God, it's so pink. What does that mean? And I was like, oh, lots of nitrates in this area, I'm afraid. That's not very good. That was lots my next question. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Um, like you said, you just you just look at a beautiful river environment and it was just the two of us. We, we didn't mm. see anybody for like an hour and you, you're just watching the birds and it's so peaceful. And you don't think about it being a potentially polluted or dilapidated environment at all. And then suddenly her face, when she saw how pink this nitrate sample went, we were both like, oh, yeah, just because it looks good on the surface. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on in the rest of the environment. And it just kind of made us think a little bit more. So then we spent the rest of the kayak back. Um, this was just before the Rivers episode came out. So I basically spent the whole kayak being like, oh, so it's all because of agricultural farmland and it's all running off with the rain. And did you know about untreated sewage? And <laughs> this poor woman, bless her, Little she was subjected to her own, yeah, her own version of the podcast. But Trapped with you but in kayak. <laughs> yeah, it was really good fun. Captive audience. Yeah, yeah she couldn't get away from me, exactly. We were stuck. But um, I, did, I did do it and it was really good fun. And the Rivers Trust actually good. listened to that episode and approved of it. So we yes, clearly did, we did an okay Thank job. Thank you very much, Rivers yeah. Trust. Yes. <laughs> And so can anyone do this uh, water quality? Yeah, yeah so could, the Rivers Trust you know, have a couple people Instagramming of photos of their water quality test. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of their goals to try and engage. Okay. Through. That's how I actually found it through their, their social it. media. Um, so Is that's, it? That's okay, always good. I have to look at that more detail can, and get involved. I can send you a link. Thank so you. I think the Avon one is now closed because they do it over a certain period of time. Right. Um, but there are lots of different rivers trusts around the UK. Um, so yeah. I imagine there might be one near you. Yeah, very nice. Hmm. Speaking of things we've done, oh. it's time to go full oh, no. circle and um, hit up our regular segment. Lloyd, what one good thing have you done this week? Yeah, I was afraid you'd ask me this, especially after we, we asked Steph to come in with something they've done. I'm just like, oh no, what am I? Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to um, uh, def deflect that question um, because there's nothing specific I've done. Something I've tried okay. to do, which is um, looking out for, because we, we've got two dogs. You might have heard uh, them in this episode, depending on how good Emma's editing skills are. I'm going to leave one or two of them in, um, I think. They're the podcast yeah. <laughs> Jack, Jack the dog, yeah, that's it. Um <laughs> And we've got some cats. I've been trying to look, find um, just good, what, what the best sort of sustainable pet products are mm. in terms of like uh, poop bags, for example. Like, because there's a brand I've been buying, Beko bags, which seem really good and they, they're supposedly sustainable plastic, but I, d I don't know how much. So I'm trying to figure this out and trying to figure out if there are other brands. So if anyone listening has particular recommendations, um, then let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to 
push to do an episode on sustainable pets. That would be a cool one. We should do that. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's a great yeah. idea. Um, yeah, I suppose there's only so far you can go because you can't necessarily expect your animals to go completely meat-free. Um, Another so, great discussion topic for the future episode. Yeah, Indeed. there we go. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep this because this is gold. <laughs> Save yeah. it. Um, <laughs> I'll write this down. <laughs> And how about you, Stephanie? I did give you a small amount of warning that we might Indeed. ask you. I did think about it just now. Something we did today, instead of flushing the coffee grounds down the sink, put them in a little container and put them out in your garden. Help the plants grow. Mix Very that in nice. with a little bit of mulch. Yeah. Do you reckon different, um, you know, you can get like Italian or Colombian. Do you reckon it matters which one you put out? It's <laughs> a really good question. I guess about the acidity the acidity level probably matters and then how that influences the acidity of the soil that you're mm. putting it on so you can look out and be like ah oh, the smooth sunday blends doing well today, but not so much the uh, intenso that's a little bit of science in itself isn't it someone could get that set yes. up have a little test of that some coffee ground science coffee ground science i like it what about you emma <laughs> What have I done? Okay, so this week um, I finally ordered a bunch of these Ocean Saver um, cleaning product things. They are basically little, uh, like very concentrated but good for the planet tablets or sachets that you dissolve in water. And instead of going and buying horrible cleaning products that are terrible for the planet in new plastic bottles every single time you need one, you just save Mm -hmm. the plastic bottle wash it out and then you can pop one of these in with water it dissolves and you've got your nice better for the planet and no plastic or no new plastic cleaning product so i finally ordered loads of those Mm, so i'm delighted (laughs) very good so i'll let you know whether they work I had no idea those well, you do, Yeah, you, you held them up to the camera, but I couldn't. Obviously, the, the viewers can't. Oh um, yes, that's good. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, we'll they are, they are <laughs> tiny. I'll put, I'll put a picture on the Instagram. But I think you can. I, I was. I saw them online. But I think you can even buy them in Sainsbury's and things now. They've made their way into mainstream supermarkets, which is always good to see. Yeah, I had no idea those existed. That's brilliant. There we go. Um, Steph, is there anything um, you anything else you'd like to talk about before we we wrap up at all? Or is there anything no, I think... you'd like to say? No, thanks. I guess just to say thank you. It's nice just to chat about these things with other people. So thanks. Yeah, no, of and course. thanks for your first podcast. I think it was brilliant and gets people thinking about this. So it's really important. Oh. Thank you. Oh, we thank we, you we very enjoy much. doing them. We, we, oh, you're doing we, it's we great. Do. Yeah. We pretend it's for everyone else, but we just love it. <laughs> chat, yeah. I mean, the, this the whole idea started when when we were having having a few um, gin and tonics in Bristol Harbour. So that's, okay, just, just carried on from there, really. Brilliant. I love it. <laughs> With slightly less gin involved most of the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A bit more tea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, but thank you so much for joining us. This has thank been, you very been much a real for treat. Me. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you very much. And we will post, as we said, those links to um, the the underwater haikus, for example, and, and the Jack the Dog uh, resources you. uh, for younger yeah. people. Um, fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we've had a wonderful time. Um, if anyone would like to write in about um, rivers, about sustainable dog products. If you'd um, like to share a haiku, for example, about haiku, a river. Yes. I mean, why not? <laughs> That's better. Do that. I'm going to get my Please do that. On. We would love forget, forget to... Forget the dog stuff for now. Haikus. 
Dogs next time. This time Dogs haiku. Time. Here's our haiku. Today. Let's hear them. Let's see them. Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> and what's the structure of a haiku again? It's five. Five seven five. Emma's on it. Five, five, five seven, syllables, five, seven, seven syllables, five syllables. But if you don't get it quite right, that's fine as well. Okay, yeah. you're forgiving. That's good yeah. to know. It's, it's, yeah. No no hard rules. No hard rules. Yeah. Beautiful. So yeah, if you'd like to send us a lovely haiku um or anything else besides uh we have a plethora a plethora of of methods by which you can contact us um and emma's gonna list them all out now <laughs> <laughs> lloyd tries to wriggle out of this every week because he can never remember them it's a it's an ongoing theme <laughs> they all blur into one so you can tweet us which is your favorite method it seems steph um at what, what earth, earth pod. pod indeed yeah Oh. Oh, we're on instagram at for what it's earth podcast and facebook at for what it's earth podcast but if you want to drop us a proper message you can email us as well so maybe email us your haikus um at for what it's earth pod at gmail.com beautiful brilliant so and we will um catch up with everyone um in another two weeks i suppose we will and one last thing before we go please remember that everything we've said today is they're all up they're always our own views they are yes. nothing to do with anyone that we work for or affiliated with so if you've got a problem with anything we've said take it up with us but I hopefully you won't credit. have a problem <laughs> i'll take the credit yet no. <laughs> yes <laughs> they're, they're, they're all steph's opinions yeah, everything it's, it's, it's all like said, in this small package yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant right well we'll see you next time bye, bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.